Hello, and welcome to the 19th Amendment Speaker Series Podcast, an audio rebroadcast of the Speaker Series presented by the National Association of Women Judges, the Women Lawyers Association of Los Angeles, and the Los Angeles County Bar Association in the summer and fall of 2020. My name is Jennifer Leland, and I am honored to share the powerful conversations between successful, inspirational, and impactful women in entertainment, sports, politics, law, academia, and business. We hope you'll enjoy these great conversations and share them with others. We note that these interviews were recorded before Kamala Harris became the Democratic Vice Presidential nominee and Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg passed away. These historical moments would have played a large part in our conversations. Justice Ginsburg's influence on women in the legal profession cannot be understated. In her memory, we share these conversations and pave the way for continued dialogue in service of a more equitable future. Okay, well, hello, everybody. I'm Nicole Bershon. I'm a judge with the Los Angeles Superior Court. And on behalf of the National Association of Women Judges, the Women Lawyers Association of Los Angeles, and the Los Angeles County Bar Association, I'd like to welcome you to Lessons from the Road, Women Making Their Mark on the Capitol. And this is number four of a speaker series commemorating the 100th anniversary of the 19th Amendment, giving women the right to vote. One of our other speakers, Assemblymember Cam Lager, she will be joining us later. She just got out of a rescheduled committee meeting, so at some point uh, she will be joining us. Uh, My co-moderator today is Valerie McGinty. Let me introduce her to you, and then she will be introducing our panelists. Valerie is a graduate of Stanford University and University of California Hastings Law School. She is a certified appellate specialist representing plaintiffs exclusively and she runs her own law firm in Northern California, focusing on affirming plaintiff's verdicts. She is a recipient of so many awards that if we listed them all, we would run out of time. But I do wanna mention one that I really found very compelling, especially for today's program. She was awarded the 2014 Street Fighter of the Year Award from the Consumer Attorneys of California. And I think we should, that's, that kind of sets the tone for today's program. Uh, when she isn't arguing before the California Supreme Court, Valerie is the founder and president of Fund Her, a political action committee dedicated to reaching gender parity throughout our nation's capitals. Having raised over $1 million for California state causes and candidates, Valerie realized after the 2016 election that state governments pose a unique opportunity. While other organizations offer training and recruitment resources for women candidates, no other PAC is dedicated to closing the gender gap in state politics. And as I've witnessed, and you can tell from the quality of our panelists today, she has quite the Rolodex. So Valerie, take it away. Thank you so much, Judge Vershawn. What an honor to be here today. Um, Welcome to all of our attendees, and um, it's such a treat to hear from our amazing panelists. Um, As the judge just mentioned, we have uh, the assembly member, Cam Lager, who will be joining us shortly, and I want to jump right into the introductions of the two panelists that we do have right here. I'm going to start off with California State Controller Betty Yee. Controller Yee has been the chief fiscal officer of the world's fifth largest economy since November 2014. She is only the 10th woman in history to be elected to statewide office. As controller, she serves on the boards of CalPERS and CalSTRS, which have a combined portfolio of more than $620 billion. She also is a member of the State Lands Commission and its chairperson in even-numbered years, helping to steward our public trust lands, waterways, and resources through development, protection, preservation, and restoration that is consistent with the state's environmental needs. She has more than 35 years of experience in public service. Controller Yi, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Zell. And of course, we also have Assemblymember Eloise Reyes, who represents the 47th District, including San Bernardino. And she was elected in 2016. She is a proud daughter of immigrants and grew up picking grapes and onions in the fields with her family. She was the first Latina lawyer to open her own law firm in the Inland Empire and successfully represented the residents of Colton in preventing the development of a hazardous waste dump in their community. The lack of access to affordable health care 
led her to become a co-founder of the Inland Empire Community Health Center. She has stood with sexual abuse survivors, successfully carrying AB 1510 in 2019, which protected the rights of the victims of Dr. Tyndall. Assemblymember Reyes, thank you so much for being with us today. Assemblymember Kamlager just joined us, I believe. Wonderful, yes, and I see her here. I'll introduce her right now. Assemblymember Sydney Kamlager represents the 54th District in Los Angeles and was elected in a special election in 2018. The very next year, she guided six of her eight bills to the governor's desk, all of which were signed into law, including AB 241 and AB 242, incorporating implicit bias training into continued education for healthcare professionals, lawyers, and judges. She was appointed by the speaker to serve on the Penal Code Revision Committee, which studies and recommends ways to simplify and rationalize criminal law in California. And she is the chair of the Select Committee on Incarcerated Women. Assemblymember Cam Lager, thank you for being with us. Thank you so much. And we're going to thank um, uh, Assemblymember Daly for yeah, in the insurance the committee right hearing now. so early so that I could participate. <laughs> in <it. laughs> yes, additional Thank thanks. you, Assemblymember Daly. <laughs> Absolutely wonderful. I want to jump right in uh, to some of the questions. And Judge Bershon will be also asking questions in a little while. But you know, to kick things off, really, one of the things I'm always most interested in is the path to elected office and, and how do we get more women representing our communities across this state and across the nation. And so I'd love to hear from each of you, what made you decide to run for state office? And was there any particular person or event that triggered that decision? And I thought, Assemblymember Reyes, I've heard you tell this story. I thought we could start with you and just go from there. Absolutely. Thank you so much. As a practicing attorney, I'd spent a lot of my time with the community. And I think that if anybody tries to run for office without the community, you're just not going to win. But I've got to tell you that it was a, a visit from Emily's List from Washington, D.C., that first told me that I should run for office, and that was for Congress. And in fact, I did run and came within 781 votes behind the person who is now our congressman and raised over a million dollars. I'm not used to losing, but I lost that race. And a year later, I was asked to run for the assembly. I gave it lots of thought. And again, it has to be community driven. If it isn't, you won't succeed. So having the community with you makes all the difference in the world. And the number of women who came in to volunteer, to phone bank, to knock on doors, just warmed my heart. We had housewives, we had professional women. It was, it was great. Fabulous. Thank you so much. And Assemblymember Cam Lager, I mean, a special election. I'm, I'm just, um, we know how unpredictable those are. And I'd love to hear your story about, you know, what was kind of the moment or the person or the event that triggered that decision for you? Well, you know, I was minding my business, uh, being a behind the scenes district director, enjoying the fact that I knew so much about this district and was able to negotiate and maneuver and listen and problem solve with community and with constituents without the spotlight of being in elected office. And then a series of events happened and I got a phone call from my boss who said, you know, you're going to have to do this. And I was like, you know, there's so many other people you can think of before you come to me. And she said, absolutely not. That's not true. And so I thought about it and talked to my family about it and decided to do it. And I do share that story with folks because it's telling that someone who has worked in a district for 10 years, who knows the issues, who knows the constituents, if you are that person and you still have to be asked and sometimes told to run, it really shows how many times women are far more likely to be behind the scenes during the work rather than stepping into it. And there really was no better candidate um, and probably no better person to run for this seat and to represent the constituents. But even I needed to be told that this was something that I should and could and knew how to do. I think it's important that we listen to our inner voice when it is telling us to um, you know, reach for the stars and to shut down all of the haters. 
And I think it's also important that we listen to those outside voices who sometimes know us better than we know ourselves to tell us that we need to walk into our purpose. Absolutely. And thank you for that. I'm reminded of an article I read. I think the latest statistic I heard was something like it takes a a woman needs to be asked six times to run to a man's one time. And, you know, of course, this was an article that had a little color around the statistic, but it was something to the effect of, yeah, you know, a man's thinking, uh, I should run. That's a great idea. You know, and a woman's like, oh, shucks, gosh, me? Sometimes they don't even need to be asked. They just (laughs) ask themselves. They wake up and say, oh, this would be great to do. (laughs) Absolutely. Controller, what, what about you? I, like a woman Kahnwalker, really enjoyed being behind the scenes. I'm a policy wonk, kind of a geek at heart, and love solving problems. I've worked for a number of different elected officials, and, and my background is in public finance and tax, so it's uh, really my love because I think money drives everything. So when I actually left the gubernatorial administration as the state's budget director, I went to uh, head up an office for my predecessor on the State Board of Equalization, not knowing that she was only going to serve out half her term before running for a state senate seat. And so immediately when I joined her staff as her chief of staff, there was speculation that I would be succeeding her. And I thought, what are you talking about? I've never wanted to run for office, that she was indeed going to leave her seat early. I looked at who else was interested in actually succeeding her when she was going to vacate the office. And, uh, and when she vacated, I would become the acting board member. So if I wanted to run, I'd have a little bit of incumbency status. Uh, I looked at who else was interested in running, all men, didn't have the background in tax, didn't have much of a financial background or fiscal background. And uh, I was over at the Capitol lobbying on a bill one day and heard a couple of them up on the floor making arguments. And I thought, oh my goodness, I can do better than this. There's no way they're going to take this role and, and actually, you know, dig deep and do the diligence that the job requires. And so I decided to run and it was actually really a blessing because it's something that I'd love to do. Having worked for a number of different elected officials, there was no shortage of political advice about uh, how to win an election. So that was really it. I didn't have to be asked. I kind of light bulb just went off and said, I can do this better. I can do this better. Oh, I love it. And so as we're moving in slow motion through this decision, having decided to run, what about on the campaign trail? What unique challenges did you face as a woman and as a woman of color once you decided to run for state office? And Controller E, maybe we'll start with you. You know, it's interesting because I can actually make a distinction because I was running for the tax board and my background is in finance. Uh, I think all the stereotypes kind of came out about Mm -hmm. the fact that I'm a Chinese woman and we're supposed to be good at numbers. And so there was never anything around my competency and and qualifications to do the Mm -hmm. job of the office, but definitely a lot of speculation about whether I had what it took to win an election. Was I going to be tough enough? Was I going to be able to raise the money? Was I going to be able to put myself forth to to really uh, get the endorsements and to um, and, and so all of those things were in question. And uh, luckily, I mean, working in this field for as long as I have, I, I had a big Rolodex, and so that was very helpful. But it is really the idea that uh, women are still, I think, uh, when it comes to viability, are measured up in the same way that men are. And so, obviously, for many women, they haven't been able to develop the professional networks. And I've just been very fortunate since I've had a long career that I had one. Assembly member Cam Lager, how about you? Well, lots of things, you know, when you're running just the challenges of manning a schedule and having a family and helping folks understand why what you're doing is important and why you're missing important dates and family time, and then telling yourself that this is something that you should be doing and giving yourself permission to not be there at some of the important events, sacrificing self-care and then recognizing the trauma that that yields when you're not making sure that you're taking time to, you know, heal yourself. You end up absorbing a lot of other people's like drama. I feel like men don't share the same kind of stories that women share. People say, you're not smiling so much. You know, why are you wearing those colors? I had folks say, oh, you're going to be just like Holly. Do you have your own brain? Can you think on your own? And I remember, because that came up quite a bit, thinking, I know folks who ran to replace someone else and they were both men and no one asked that person, are you going to think exactly like your predecessor? It's just all of the isms and the biases. People just feel like they have license to share with you and then get offended when you ask them to not do that and say that it's inappropriate. And then you sort of shift into, oh, she's aggressive. 
you know, or she's a B or, you know, if that's how you're going to be when you're elected. So lots of put downs. And it's like figuring out how to help people manage through their own insecurities about your running. So you're candidate and therapist at the same time. <laughs> you should all be certified. How about yourself? For me, I realized that the first thing is to be, you're going to run for office. But then the hard work begins. And I think what is, I don't know, it's something special about women is that we put in the hard work. We don't expect somebody to take care of things for us. For myself, I always want to take charge and I want to be involved in every aspect of it. And so the hard work begins. And with that begins the phone calls for fundraising. And that's difficult. That's probably the most difficult part at the beginning. Afterwards, you just get used to it. But as a woman, I think the reason I felt less of a problem is because I was a practicing attorney. I think having that title allowed me to stand in rooms of men because I had been doing that my entire professional career. But you still sense the questioning as Sydney was talking about, are you going to be as tough as a man? Are you going to be able to stand up to all of those others who are going to try to take away the funding that would normally come to our district? Honestly, I think that the title of attorney made a big difference for me. We all worked very hard before we got here. None of us just arrived. We all have worked in the community. We all have established ourselves. But there are times when there are questions simply because we are women. That happens. As a Latina, I think I felt a lot of that also. The race that I had was against another woman. So that made it even more difficult at that time in making sure that I did not allow others to try to play a race card between us, but to emphasize the issues. And I think that is so important in any race is to be passionate about it, whatever it is you're going for, and to always pivot back to why you're running. What difference are you going to make in the legislature? And to pivot back to that, for me anyway, as long as I pivoted to the reason why I was running and what I would be able to do, I think that's what helped me through the process. And so as you go on this trail and Assemblymember race, maybe I could just stick with you for a moment. Looking back on the process, were there supporters, allies, and maybe any unexpected allies who you were able to turn to, uh, to lean on, who really helped carry you through, whether it be helping with the election or knocking on doors, any, any capacity? How did that work? Students. Students helped me so much. I had great staff. Um, my field director was 19 at the time or 18. <laughs> so she was able to go to the high schools and talk to the students. And we had so many volunteers. I think that was the one part of the campaign that I just absolutely loved. We would have junior high and high school students that would come in and the college students would help them with their homework. And then everybody would start with a phone. And it's those sorts of stories that for me were, were very special. Labor in my race was key. Our labor unions that were looking for representation and had seen the work that I had done as a workers' compensation attorney working for the workers. And then, of course, as an attorney, my trial lawyers and my applicants' attorneys, these were groups that were key to my success. Fabulous. How about you, Assemblymember Cam Lager? Yeah, I was thinking it feels like forever ago. Well, so the people who stepped up, um, I had amazing support from labor. I, too, had amazing support from the attorney community, probably because my husband is one, and they assume that I understand the law a little bit. <laughs> tons of support from um, uh, Black women groups like Law Pie and Law Pack. And then, you know, unexpectedly, I got support from the folks from the community college world, and I wasn't really expecting that because oftentimes when you leave a place to go someplace else, folks are sad and irritated and maybe a little salty. Um, and so I thought, well, they're going to be focused on, you know, the next person, but they ended up being real champions and were able to really talk about what I was able to achieve while I was on the board and why my voice would be an important one to add to the legislature. So it was bittersweet, you know, because they certainly didn't want to leave someone, especially at the time I was the only, well, now they have no one. I was the only African-American voice on that board. So I didn't think people wanted me to leave and they didn't, but 
they were equally supportive of this. So that was unexpected. And then oddly enough, constituents who I think were actually waiting for me to run before I even knew I was going to. And I think sometimes it's about having someone that you trust run to represent you. Absolutely. Talk about a known name in that community. How wonderful. Controller Yee, how about yourself? As a woman candidate, I was really happy that and this is kind of interesting. I do want to share this story. You know, a lot of campaign consultants don't necessarily think about women as a demographic that can be key to elections, which I find really kind of interesting because we are there. We're out in force. We will support candidates. And so I think that's changed a lot now. That as I was interviewing consultants when I first ran, I was just quite surprised. And and I don't necessarily run on my identity. Obviously, it's pretty obvious what I am. And so, but it was really interesting to get bipartisan support in my board of equalization races, especially because we do a lot of work with small businesses and really wanted to ensure their success. And and so I think um, you know, just being a street shooter with that community has always served me well. And then I would say also, I really had, because I traveled the state quite a bit, young people for sure. I mean, they were really the fuel, you know, places, particularly I'm a Democrat, I'm a progressive Democrat, but where there weren't really, you know, established Democratic clubs, there were college clubs, the um, young Democrats. And so I was really happy that they were engaged, even for an obscure office like the tax board, then certainly during my controller's race as well. Fabulous. Thank you so much for that. And, you know, your comments remind me of, uh, I'm, I'm skipping actually to another question, because here we are celebrating the 100th anniversary of the 19th Amendment, um, you know, the things it's fulfilled, it's promise, it's disappointment, the distance we have left to go. And, you know, I'm thinking about this process of deciding to run and, and how you get there and doing it successfully. Do you think that what we know is now more than a moment, but a movement, do you think that these recent events, um, and I just toss this out, please, anyone take it in, uh, as it moves you, that it will make it easier for uh, in the future for women and especially women of color to step up and run for positions as you all did? Oh gosh, I think we're seeing a surge of women really interested in running and not being asked, which is, I think, what we've all kind of worked hard for. In your introduction, Val, I mean, the one thing I don't, and it's part of the introduction because it reminds everybody we have to do better. I'm only the 10th woman ever elected to statewide constitutional office since statehood in California. That's abysmal. I mean, that's not something to brag about. But what I have really enjoyed seeing, and this is true, women are not being asked. We're kind of like pissed off right now. It's like a lot happening where our rights and protections are being threatened. We are denigrated. I just see this surge of like momentum and not that anger is going to be kind of a sustaining fuel, but it actually is a motivator, I think, in terms of looking at, we're not going to fall victim to this. We're going to step up and do something about it. So it is really great to see the numbers that are running the cycle. And I hope that's a sustaining development and certainly with organizations like yours, Val Funter and others that are making it actually uh, more viable for women. Because, you know, when I first started running, there were very few organizations that were supporting women to run in terms of training, the support, the nuts and bolts of what a campaign requires. And so I actually think this is our movement. This is our time. And we're seeing it in terms of the numbers that are stepping up. Absolutely. Something that's interesting, Betty talked about how many state elected officials that were women over the history. An interesting statistic, and I just love this, is that there have been a total of 4,955 elected officials since our first convening in 1849. Of those, less than 200 have been women. Less than 200. I think it's like 170 total women that of the almost 5,000, less than 200 have been women. The first African-American woman ever elected was in 1966. The first woman ever was 1918, because California gave women the right to vote a couple of years before we did it nationally. In 1918, we had three women elected to office in the state legislature. 48 years later, the first African-American and first Asian-American woman, that was 1966, The first Latina ever elected, 1982. Um, I I am number 152, all the women ever elected. Sydney, 155. Um, We need more women. And I I do think that the movement now, it is a movement. And I love when I hear consultants say, I think for that office, we need to look at a woman because women are being elected now more than men. I love hearing that because we have so many qualified women who can run and Val, the statistic you talked about earlier that 
men need to be told once, whereas women on average six to seven times. And anytime I speak to a group of women, I always say, turn to the person, turn to the woman next to you and say, I think you ought to run for office. And you need to hear that from six people so that now you can make a decision, say, I've already been asked six times, it's time for me to run. Yeah, I think it is a movement. I can think of so many women that need to be elected and we work with them as much as possible. Totally agree, go ahead. I wanted to add to the amazing and righteous comments that were made by my fellow women panelists to say we need to push to have more women run for the constitutional seats. You know, I think at some point very soon in the near future, we need to be electing a female governor to the state of California. Equally important that we are not just focusing on the statewide seats, but also smaller seats, you know, judges, I tell people, you know, more important than you realize because these folks are deciding your civil liberties when you go to visit them. Mm -hmm. And so making sure that you have a diverse judicial bench and water, I mean, we say water is liquid gold for California. So not to sleep on some of the smaller seats, they may seem less sexy, but sometimes the, 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 the seats that are less sexy are the ones that are doing the very real, hard, arduous work. And lastly, I am excited that more women are running. I'm excited that more women are winning. I'm incredibly excited that women of color are both running and winning. And it's also important to talk about the bullying that happens to female electives and to candidates. And I have sort of noticed an uptick in the demeaning kind of behavior that we have to deal with. I think AOC's sort of recent experience and then her talking on the floor of the house was telling to what we have to face. And so while we are working to make sure that women are running and winning in seats, it's also really important that we have our gladiators that are with us that can speak to that egregious behavior that I think women have to deal with and women of color have to deal with far more frequently than men. Amen to that. And I'd love to know, all three of you are so incredibly generous in your mentorship, in your engagement with the community, in reaching out and leaving the ladder down for other women. And so I'd love to hear your thoughts on how your presence in in the offices uh, that you're in will make it easier for future women and women of color to follow in your footsteps. And How can we effectively leverage women and men, right, to help get more women into office? I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. And Controller Yi, maybe we could start with you. Sure. Thank you. Well, I'm going to issue a challenge because women who know anything about finances and money don't seem to want to step up and run for statewide office. I'm always looking for women to succeed me. And my senior staff are overwhelmingly women and uh, women of color. And so I try to really do my part in terms of, you know, just the mentoring and, and all that. But in terms of running, and obviously for a statewide office, the scale of it is is huge. But at the same time, I would have expected that there would be many uh, women and hopefully a woman of color who would want to really work in this area. And it's not just about money. It's about really money driving policy. And so I do hope that we will find a candidate to succeed me when I do term out in 2022. There are plenty of men who are interested. Obviously, my preference would be to, to have a woman. When I do my mentorship, I always do try to, particularly if we're talking about policy, to be sure that women are getting some fiscal and budgeting experience under their belt. It's just helpful in whatever realm you decide to work in. And so I'm still searching for my successor. <laughs> my daughter's favorite class in her online summer school was money. All right. <laughs> and I thought of you. She said, mom, taxes. But guess where they go? It's important. Taxes are sexy, yes. I got to buy a house. This is, you know, so so thank you for that mentorship. And Assemblymember Reyes, how about you? I agree with our controller that we need to be mentoring. And as much as possible, I do try to mentor. I love going to classes, to high school classes. Obviously, not so much anymore. We have a program, Young Legislators Program, where we take 10th and 11th grade students And I love seeing that the majority of them are women. One of the sections is about the legislature and talking to them about elected office and what they can do and to run for office. And many of them then do run for fair at their high schools. These are leaders already. I'm not making leaders, but we just have to identify them. And there are so many young women and older women. It's not just the young women. I don't want us to be ageist. Remember, I'm here. 
but we do need to do everything that we can to to mentor uh, women who are interested in this because not everybody's going to be interested in running for office. But those that have any kind of interest, we need to remind them how much they're needed, how much their voice is needed. Um, we, it, it always matters who's at the table. If you're talking about what the policy is going to be or who you're going to hire or any issue, if you don't have at least one woman at the table, and I say a woman of color also, if you don't have such a person at the table, then there's no need for diversity. If you have a woman at the table, women are almost always going to be looking for diversity, gender-wise and race-wise. That's something that we do. I, I will tell you, as an aside, in my office here at the Capitol and back at the district, whenever I'm hiring, I'm very intentional. I'm very intentional. I want a diverse group. I, I, want, I don't want everybody to look the same, to be the same. I want a diverse group. My staff knows that. I want to be intentional about it. If we aren't intentional, it doesn't just happen. You can look in most offices and there's hardly any diversity. And when there isn't diversity, we're not going to have that greatness that we could have, but we do have a diverse group. So making sure that everybody is represented and for too long, women have not been represented. And we have to make sure that we bring as many of them along. It's our responsibility to mentor them. And we will learn as much from them, but we've got to mentor them because we are in those positions of power, so to speak, so that we can show them that they too can have anything that we have. It's our responsibility. Absolutely. Amen. How about you, Assemblymember Cam Lager? I definitely want to echo the sentiments just shared. I was adamant that my chief of staff was going to be a woman and was going to be a woman of color because everyone, I think, will say the same thing. You know, oftentimes we take the meetings and we're in the places we're supposed to be, but very often we are unable to. And so our staff become our surrogates. And so it's really important, I think, for my constituents and for people in the outside world to see strong, capable vocal, intelligent women at the table who can speak for the office and for me. So I was very intentional about making sure that my chief was going to be a woman, as well as making sure that the staff would be diverse in offices. So I think that's important because there are not a lot of uh, female chiefs, and it's important that they are able to step up and to be trained um, so that they can do the same. It's also important when we're talking about leadership we obviously are talking to women, but I think it's equally important. And I try to make sure that I'm talking to fathers and fathers who have daughters, because oftentimes they are looking for role models to share with their daughters. And so it's as much about reminding uh, my female allies that we are all in this together as it is about helping, you know, the men, the male allies find someone who looks like their daughter, who sounds like their daughter, who maybe would have been their daughter years ago to say, hey, now I'm connecting you to this sister comrade. And then lastly, representation is important. I know when I ran for LACCD, it was interesting because there hadn't been an African-American on the board who would have been elected in 15 years. And folks were coming out of the woodwork to say, oh my God, finally I have a voice. And now there's a vacancy of that kind of voice and the void is deafening. And so the other way that we can leverage is to look at the spaces where there are voids and to shine a light on those places so that we can be intentional in making sure that we're electing women um, and diverse women to sit in those seats. Absolutely. Let's shine a light on all of those spaces. And I love the idea of engaging women and men in that process. It's a beautiful thing. Hopefully it's all of us standing up and building a new future that looks a little bit different than the past. Wonderful. Judge Bershon, please take it away. So I want to keep on that theme of mentorship and Valerie focused on mentors on the road to office. You arrive in the state capitol, and, and I want to start with uh, the controller because there was such a paucity of women in statewide office. You're the controller. Who are your mentors now when you get there? You look around and I got here, now what? So how important were mentors for you once you got to state office? And if you're willing to share, who were those mentors? 
Sure. Well, considering I'm only the second woman controller of California, mm-hmm. so I think there are a couple things. One, you know, certainly those who have worked, you know, at senior levels for the office who know the institution really were just stellar mentors for me. You know, obviously you can come in with a skill set, know how to do the job, but there's a culture, there's an organization. And uh, aside from serving as controller, I also serve on 70 different boards and commissions. So trying to, you know, master you know, the subject matter for, for each of those. But I think what I really fell into in terms of what I saw like so clearly was that I needed to just put my own imprint on this, that once I kind of understood the organization, understood my role, there was just a way to kind of change this up. And so very first off, I just knew that I wanted to have, you know, women on my senior staff. And so that process began pretty early in terms of the search process. And I think in terms of the, the mentors who have really been the most effective for me really have been those who've been part of the institution for a long time because they have seen, frankly, controllers elected, served, and then term out. And also understand just how the culture may or may not change as you have a different elected executive at the helm. And so just to understand kind of the dynamic of that was really invaluable. And so I would really have to credit my chief counsel. I'm the seventh controller that he has served. So a lot of institutional (laughs) knowledge there. What about you, Assemblymember Reyes? Well, getting here, I had only one elected official who had endorsed me, and that was Senator Connie Leva. Yes, and I'm here. And I looked to her a lot initially. But when you're here in the Capitol, you think that you're going to see each other every day. You don't. I hardly ever see Sydney. And we're in the same house. Um, But initially, she was somebody that I could talk to and ask questions of. And I think we have some really strong uh, legislators here in our house. Uh, We have the chair of appropriations, Lorena Gonzalez, and sitting right behind me, Shirley Weber, who happens to be Sydney's seatmate, we have some really strong women and they're all different. And to be able to call on any of them, because these are women you trust. And that's really what it's about here. It's about relationships. You get here to the Capitol and you start to mm-hmm. form relationships with people that, and as you get to know them, you realize who you can trust. Mm-hmm. Heard means something. And those are the people you'll always go back to. Because you know that if you ask them a question, you get an honest answer. But I got to tell you, in the end, my biggest mentor, (coughs) my mother grounds me in a way that nobody else can ground me. She reminds me that I will be here for a period of time and I've got to go back home. Never let this get to my head because the moment I start feeling that I'm just too good or, or how great I am, just reminding me that I've got to be grounded in all of this remind myself why it is that I'm here, to be able to represent the people in my district. The people of California, yes, but very specifically the people in my district and making sure that whenever I'm here, I never want to do or say, behave in any way that will embarrass anybody who works for me, any of my family members or any of my constituents. I want them to feel that I am representing them with dignity because that's what I want to give to them is that dignity, that respect, that in my community, I think for, for a long time, they haven't been taken into consideration. So when I think of mentors, I think of, I, I really do think of my mother primarily because she makes sure that I am grounded in a very positive, and my mother is a very strong woman. I mean, she's put up with a whole lot and put a lot of people in place. I mean, people in high places, but does it in a very nice way. She's got a third grade education, but you'd never guess that. I was the attorney in the, uh, in the house, but she would be giving legal advice. I have a sister who's a psychologist. She'd be giving psychiatric advice. I have a, another one who was a police officer. She could tell you the law and tell you what you need. <laughs> a sister who's a professor. She, my mother has done an exceptional job with all of her daughters. We never felt that there were limits. Never. I never felt that there was a job that was only for a man and I could never fit in. I have never felt that in my entire life. Others have tried to make me feel that way, but I have never felt that. And I credit my mother with having instilled that in me. Assemblymember Kamlager, tell us about your mentors once you got to, you've had several offices, but once you got to the Capitol, once you were in Sacramento. To Eloise's point, you know, obviously Senator Mitchell was the first to endorse me and pushed me out of the nest. And I see her less now than I did before. 
but you know, she say, call me if you need something. And of course the days are so long you forget to, but she has remained a mentor. But there are other folks, people like Mona Pascal, who used to be the appointment secretary for um, Governor Jerry Brown, Pro Tem Atkins, even Controller Yee, women who run and serve with grace, who are strategic and thoughtful always, and who find ways to reach out and still be supportive and to collaborate. And I bring up the controller because not long ago, she called and said, can we work together? Let's do this, you know, as a duo, as a dynamic female duo to help really move legislation along that deals with the Victims' Compensation Fund and came up with really strong targeted language You look for women like that who are actually thinking of you enough to say, I want to work with you. It's such an honor to get that call because it means that you're on their radar. And as younger electeds or newer electeds, you don't really think that people are noticing. So I certainly count those and the pro tem to have been speaker and to be pro tem. And you can only imagine the kind of trials and tribulations that you have to deal with managing, you know, 80 or 40 grown, sometimes grown folks through this legislative process. And to do that and figure out ways to not, you know, let people see you sweat. And then interestingly enough, you know, there are many third house advocates who are women. Now they are certainly coming to us because they are talking about a issue or a bill or their agenda, but they are also women who work really hard to get to that job, who deal with their own sexist traumas. And so oftentimes you can say, not assembly member to so-and-so, but Sydney to friend, I need a little guidance or help. And there are so many women who, you know, are happy that we're here, who want us to succeed, who really do want us to be successful because they know regardless of the side that we stand on, Our voice is important, and it's important that it's there. So there are a number of women here in Sacramento who come to talk with me about bills and issues, but that I also can lean on just for female guidance about how to navigate the waters that are here in Sacramento. And then lastly, he's not a woman, he's a man, and he's my husband. And um, I count him because he's the one that I see just about every day. And he's the one who really knows who I am. And he's also someone who's incredibly 100% invested in me being the most successful self-realized woman that I can be in this position. And that's really important too. And you know that your partner is ride or die and will do whatever he or she can to part the waters to make sure that you are able to stand and walk in your purpose. And so it's important to really sort of celebrate those folks too, because they see us when we're doubting ourselves, when we are down, when we are trying to figure out what the strategy is, when we're trying to get up the next day and actually make something happen. And they know our fears, you know, and our demons. And so it's important to be able to rely on those folks too. Thank you for bringing that up because we've talked about to use that fancy legal term, the haters. And we talked about the mentors, but there's this other group, the unexpected allies, the people that when you got to Sacramento, you didn't think would necessarily be in your corner. So tell us about those allies that were a pleasant surprise to you uh, in your role in the in the Capitol. Can we start with you, Controller Yee? Well, I would say that there are hands down Uh, many of our women legislators. And I think there's just kind of a natural kinship there. But, you know, I'm also fairly progressive in my policies. So there definitely is a group of women legislators, the two that I'm happy to be on this panel with, for starters. But I also think we are very vested in each other's success. And I think that's really important because oftentimes what surfaces in the news, uh, which has been so frankly disgusting of late as we're anticipating a vice presidential pick, It's just the competition, the perceived animosity, you know, um, between women. And it's anything but. I mean, I I feel so supported by so many of my women colleagues in the legislature. They want to see me succeed. People used to joke and say, well, it's because you signed their paychecks. No, it has nothing to do with that. It has more to do with just wanting to know that it took a lot for each of us to get to where we are. 
And we want to be sure we're successful so that we can continue to reach back and be sure we have more women serving, and particularly women of color, where the road is really much more difficult. So I would say, hands down, those would be my frontline allies. And then the other thing I wanted to say was, you know, we have, uh, I think each of us has an awesome responsibility. And I'm so glad Sydney talked about, you know, her staff and Eloise as well. They would do anything. I mean, they're so dedicated to not just you know, each of us because we're the elected principal, but just to the cause about what, why we're here and, and what we're about. And I have to say that um, that's very rewarding because at the end of the day, I'm usually first in the office and last to leave that, um, you know, when you see who else is kind of, you know, they're just totally committed, totally dedicated, that just feels really good. And you know, that comes from, you know, something much deeper than just being in a job and uh, getting paid for something they'd like to do. What about you, Assembly Member Reyes? Unexpected allies. Sort of depends on the bill that I'm running, <laughs> right? Sometimes I think I'm going to have some great allies. It turns out that they're not really with me on that particular. Um, but I think back to the bill for the women from USC who were sexually um, harassed and assaulted by Dr. Tyndall. The allies in that particular bill were wonderful. Uh, just Many of them were victims. Many of them were the survivors. And knowing that they were willing to come out to talk about this, even though it had been so many years, to talk about what had happened to them, to make this a successful bill so that the other women would also be able to have recourse. That was important. I have a bill now regarding allowing our inmate firefighters to have a path to an expedited expungement. I carried the bill last year and the firefighters just did not like it, did not like the way it was. And I still had lots of conversations with them. And then during the, the break, I then spoke with them at great length. So did my staff to the point where we were able to come up with some legislation that still got to where we wanted to go, but still recognized their concerns. And when you have that kind of ally, then I think you have the ability to put together better policy. Allies also with the Women's Caucus, the Legislative Women's Caucus, the one caucus that has both Republican and Democrat members. And the allies, uh, Marie Waldron, who is the Republican minority leader, that sort of relationship with my colleague on the other side. In the end, it's really about relationships. As an individual, I want to be able to tell somebody, I disagree with you. Let me tell you why. Let me tell you about my experiences. And let me tell you about the people I represent. And we may end up still disagreeing, but I want them to know that what I am telling them is the absolute truth. That they won't agree with me is one thing. That they don't trust me. I don't want that to ever happen. So those, I think, are the allies that I have been able to get here while I've been in Sacramento I'll tell you, my biggest ally, because of the place where we live, is our controller, Betty Yee. <laughs> I know that Sydney talked about, about our controller. Knowing that she is the top person in the state of California who is a woman, and she still finds the time to reach out to the rest of us, is really important. Where she genuinely wants to get together, she genuinely wants to talk about the issues, that's important. And so this isn't a commercial but when we look to the constitutional officers, including our governor's position, we need to look to those very women who have made an impact in the lives of so many others. And it isn't a show. It is genuine. And she's smart on top of everything else. So, <laughs> Assemblymember Kamlager, unexpected allies. You know, allies might be strong, too strong a word, depending on the day of the week, but I will share this very short story. When I ran for office, there was a current sitting colleague who actually ran someone else against me. And I did not know who this person was. Um, and he refused to meet with me, which I guess makes sense in retrospect, um, while I was on the campaign trail. But when I won, I think my first or second day on the floor, I found out who he was and where he sat. And I went up and I introduced myself and I offered him my hand. And I said, I would love for us to, you know, get together and introduce ourselves and, and learn about each other because I don't know who you are. And I was so curious to me that you did this. And so how do we hit the reset button? 
What I later found out was that many people on the floor witnessed that because, in fact, people came up to me and said, that was a classy thing to do. I saw you do this. And so we met and we talked and we begun to establish a relationship, a working professional relationship. Now, we don't agree on lots of things, but for me, he actually became an unexpected ally because I think it took a lot of gumption to do that. And maybe he was expecting my reaction would be different. But it just goes to show that when you're true to who you are and when you're unafraid and when you actually are willing and interested in building bridges and in working for something bigger than yourself, then people will surprise you. And I think I surprised him. And then he surprised me by wanting to figure out ways that we could come together when possible on issues. Now he's in the Central Valley, he's very, very moderate, there are very few things that we do agree on, but it does go to show kind of the vulnerability and the strength of women and how that can yield unexpected results. This has been a phenomenal panel and very inspiring and uplifting. And I want to close on an even more uplifting note. To say it mildly, 2020 has been a difficult year. What are each one of you hopeful about or encouraged by? I'm going to start reverse order with Assemblymember Kamlinger. In 2020, we elect somebody to get this crazy maniac up out of office so we can go back to actually having more and preserving our rights. Okay. Controller Yee. A win, a win, a win in the White House and just taking back our democracy. It really is the election of our lifetime. It really is. And what I'm excited about is that I think people are really motivated now. Uh, I don't think there's any, any community that's not been touched. And so I am hopeful for the largest turnout we've ever seen, in spite of all of the speculation about whether a vote will be challenged. Assemblymember Reyes. Goodness, I can't think of anything better. I'm so glad Sydney started it out that way. This election is the most significant election for all of us. We have got to get our country back on the road to recovery. It's not going to happen so long as we continue on the road we've been on. Everything will change. And then once we know who the vice president is, uh, then once we have a new president, I expect the cabinet to reflect the communities, and this great country that we live in. Well, thank you all. Valerie, anything you want to say in closing? I want to thank you all. I know how busy you all are and take your time out and, and share all of your thoughts and letting the state and the country get to know all of you and what amazing leaders you are and all of your own rights. And I want to thank Valerie and her amazing Rolodex. So thank you all. Thank you, Judge. Thank you, all of you. What a total treat. We hope you enjoyed this discussion. Please subscribe to receive future episodes and please share with colleagues and loved ones. You can learn more about this series at LACPA.org slash podcasts. Thank you to the planning committee, the Honorable Nicole Bershon, the Honorable Michelle Williams-Court, Julie Gerchik, a partner at Glazer Weil LLP, the Honorable Samantha Jessner, the Honorable Serena Murillo, the Honorable Elizabeth White, and the Honorable Amy Yerke. We are grateful to Cecilia Gomez and Tom Walsh from LACBA for their hard work supporting the speaker series and to Lynn Florin for producing the podcast.